0: Hello and welcome to the Parents Survival Kit from Surviving to Thriving in Your Household. My name is Gene Schwellen, and next to me is my beautiful bride, as always, Dr. Sonia Schwellen, pediatric expert psychologist, national certified school psychologist, and we have a really exciting episode today. Uh, If you tuned in last week, we had the checkup from the neck up. If you missed it, go check it out. You definitely need to. Today is about anxiety. Uh, This is a huge, huge topic. Um, Parents are always talking about kids and anxiety. The schools are screaming that anxiety is through the roof these days, uh, even before the pandemic, but even more so now as school is back in session. So Dr. Schwinn, what is anxiety?
1: (laughs) That's such a broad question, but I'm glad you asked it. Um, I actually like to think about anxiety as more of an umbrella term. Because I think anxiety these days is being used, it's being overused or maybe it's just being used so much that sometimes we don't even know what it really means or um, we're using it more in a general way to kind of describe, like you said, like with school being in session and with a pandemic and just kind of different things that we're seeing in our kids, parents may be more anxious or worried about certain things and the children may not be showing any anxiety Or kids could be showing more anxiety and the parents aren't picking up on it. So anxiety is just such a big word these days. And I don't even know that people really, truly know why they're using that word or even what it means when they're using it. So I think today talking about it is going to be really helpful.
0: So it's kind of like the word love. We use it everywhere, anywhere, however.
1: Lately, yeah. That's exactly what I think it's kind of been turning into. So it's a real good parallel that you made. Um, So with regard to the word anxiety, what I want to do today is, like I said, think about that more as an umbrella term, and then we can talk about different types of anxiety disorders that are underneath that umbrella. And we're not going to talk about all the different disorders, but we'll give examples of some of them. I don't mind doing that at all. Um, And then even talk about different things that you might see in your children that maybe you never thought of as being a symptom of anxiety um, so that parents can kind of think through just different things that they might be seeing in their kids and, and try to figure out, you know, if they want a professional opinion and maybe want to go get that checkup from the neck up um, like you mentioned uh, to get a little bit more help with their children.
0: Absolutely. And we'll also of course have some tips at the very end of the episode of how to kind of, uh, help our children with anxiety and even ourselves. So definitely uh, excited excited for this day. So give me some examples of types of anxiety. What are our kids going through? What does that look like? Where does it come from? I'm just going to throw a lot of things out there. So,
1: (laughs) Okay. So how about we talk about where does it come from? Um, Again, if we really want to know where things are coming from, I always like to take a really broad approach to to investigating that. And that's where, you know, that assessment is so important, but also just kind of understanding that there's so many factors, you know, there's kind of a perfect storm that can contribute to anybody having any kind of symptoms of any disorder, really. So anxiety can come from, you know, a biological tendency or a a genetic component. It can come from just things that are going on in the environment, Um, like kids see their parents maybe are a little anxious and how their parents deal with stress. Or it can come from situational triggers. Um, so it could be really, really specific to a certain stressor or trigger or situation in someone's life. That's why there's so many different ways to think about anxiety. Um, a really common type of anxiety is called generalized anxiety disorder. So if we're going to like the true clinical significance of like diagnosing somebody with a disorder, that's a real common one generalized anxiety disorder is when someone is kind of worried about everything (laughs) so they think about their future and they worry about that they think about the present and they find things to worry about there and then they might think about things that have already happened and they find things to worry about with the past and so somebody um, who had a real you know big hand in training me someone I respected my career and my profession and uh, actually taught me a real cool way of explaining anxiety when when a child or an adult has generalized anxiety disorder. So what we know about anxiety is that when, when someone has generalized anxiety is that it really likes to live in the past or in the future. Okay. And so it's really hard for someone to feel anxious if they're in the here and now or in the present moment. And so if they're worried about something that's already happened or they're thinking about something that could happen, they tend to be more anxious. What we also know about someone with anxiety in general is that if they have anxiety, like, or an anxiety tendency, you know, or disorder, they're going to find something to worry about. Um, so parents can sometimes fall into the trap of providing reassurance to a child when they're super worried about something, and a lot of times in clinic, parents will say, it doesn't matter how much I reassure them, or I feel like I'm having the same conversation with my child every day. And the reason that they feel like they're in that never-ending loop, or they can't, like no matter how hard they work, they can't make their child feel better, is because what we know is not really about the content, it's not really about what the kid is worrying about, it's the fact that they're anxious. So the fact that they have anxiety, they're just going to find something to worry about. Today it might be, you know, their friends. Tomorrow it'll be the grades they got on their assignment, and the next day it could be something that the teacher said to them.
0: Okay. So as a coach, you know, I do know that – well, I guess the question I want to ask is, is there actual healthy anxiety? Because as a coach, you know, my kids, even our own son, would – be anxious for a game, but you know, there's a little bit of fear in there. So I think anxiety, I think fear actually kind of can, can lead to anxiety in different ways. Uncertainty, obviously, um, is there healthy anxiety? Um, and how do we actually navigate that?
1: Yeah. So I'm really glad you said that because I, I jumped right to let's talk about all the different disorders that fall under the umbrella of anxiety. Right. And that I'm just like in that clinical space right now. Um, and so, I still want to go over a few more of those types of anxiety disorders, but absolutely there's, there's always a healthy level of anxiety. So I think I'll, I'll even say this to like my staff or people I train is when I know someone's anxious, I'll literally say, you know, I'm kind of glad you're feeling anxious about this thing that's coming up because that shows me that you care. And so when something's really important to someone, they might worry about it. You know, or it might be that little adrenaline rush or that push that they need to stay focused on the task at hand and to perform, um, to be able to accomplish what they've set out to accomplish. So absolutely, a little bit of anxiety is healthy. Um, I think you're like over there covering up your notes. so I can't read what you're about to ask me I'm next. i trying to look at my <laughs> cheat sheet over here. Are you anxious about me looking at your notes? <laughs>
0: Well, okay, so we do have some healthy anxiety, which is great, and, um, you know, I guess one of the big things that's going around right now as far as anxiety, especially with the pandemic, is social anxiety, social social distancing, kids are doing virtual learning in, in greater numbers than ever before, um, so tell me about social anxiety.
1: So, with social anxiety disorder, when individuals are truly experiencing it to that, like, clinical level... Um, This disorder is characterized by just a fear of being negatively evaluated by others. And the person who's experiencing it really wants to be social. They want to make friends and and have those experiences. Um, But they may avoid them because avoiding a situation is a little easier than actually being put in a situation where they could be rejected. So that fear of rejection, the fear of being negatively evaluated, that's a huge part of social anxiety. There's also a performance fear that comes with social anxiety. So performance fear is like, it can be very normal in people where they, they're just afraid to do public speaking and get up in front of a large crowd. Um, Those things are normal. That's nothing to worry about but when someone has social anxiety and we're talking about performance fears it's because that person believes that they have to be a certain way or they or they're a failure or there's a risk for them being rejected so there's almost this sacrifice of the true self to do everything they can to conform and fit in so they can avoid that negative evaluation from others and so during the pandemic with social distancing I've actually seen kids that have been coming into clinic just completely thrive in this situation because they don't have to be in those social situations that create so much stress for them.
0: That makes perfect sense. So you said something about avoidance and whatnot. So that leads me to to think about separation anxiety. And we see that really in in younger kids, um, especially, uh, but kids avoiding wanting to go to school. They don't want to go to preschool or daycare and whatnot. Separation anxiety, so can you speak to that?
1: Yeah, so I mean, that's, that's really what it, I mean, that's a real good example of like how it shows up in kids' lives, but separation anxiety is the type of anxiety where a child is really fearful of leaving or being apart from their primary caregiver. So in young kids, we see, um, you know, the fear of like going to school, maybe wanting to avoid school, not wanting to leave their parents' side. Um, and what this plays out, you know, in the home setting is like maybe the child is following the parent to the bathroom and standing there the whole time and really not giving the parent even in, in a moment of alone time.
0: It's kind of like Zaya on my foot, hanging onto <laughs> my leg, and I have to walk everywhere in the house with him on my leg.
1: Well, and so at, I'm glad you <laughs> brought that example up because at certain ages... <laughs> separation anxiety is very developmentally appropriate it's just thing it's just a thing that all kids go through it becomes more of a disorder or something to worry about when the child's older you know so some cases that i've seen for example you know children come into my office and they can be 16 17 years old and they worry constantly that if I'm not with my mom, even if she's in the other room, I still need to know where she is at all times because something bad could happen to her while we're apart. And so that's one of like the hallmark fears in, in separation anxiety is that if I'm not near my primary caregiver at all times or I'm not sure where she is at all times, the worst case scenario could possibly happen. Um, so, in younger kids, we see separation anxiety more of, like, school avoidance and just really not wanting to be a part. In older kids, we see more of, like, those scary thoughts that accompany it.
0: Okay. Well, that, that definitely makes uh, perfect sense there. So, when we speak of um, separation anxiety or avoiding school, there's also, um, which is prevalent in teens, as you just mentioned, um, a, a lot of avoidance and going to school or whatnot because they are fearful of what people think of them. Um, they're not fitting into the mold of what society says. Um, that's triggered a lot by social media these days, especially um, the, the, the the perfect look, or I should be like this, or I should act like this, or I should have these friends, or I wear these clothes, or whatever the case may be. Um, h- how do we basically identify that type of anxiety in kids, and and, and what do we do with it?
1: Well, I'm actually going to... so. So those are all good points, and those are things that, you know, may be really developmentally appropriate just depending on how old the child is. Um, so I think that's a, good, that's a good segue into how can a parent just even identify anxiety in a yeah. child, just any age child. Um, so anxiety can feel really different for, for every person. Um, so everybody's anxiety is different. So even though there are certain disorders out there that people might have similar characteristics of and maybe fit the criteria for, the way that people feel anxious can be very different. Like f- like the way I experience anxiety could be very different from the way you experience anxiety. Um, so I just want to give some examples of that. We know that a lot of times kids will be really in their body so they feel their feelings in their body a lot so younger kids might say that they have that feeling of like butterflies in their stomach or their their head hurts or their tummy hurts or i just feel kind of sick and there's no explanation that could be a legitimate form of experiencing anxious feelings a lot of times when kids go to school and they might get a tummy ache, or it's it's time to leave the house for school and their stomach starts hurting, and there's no reason for it that you can think of or understand, it could be anxiety. Um, I've seen many times in adults who feel anxiety in their body too, but they might have chest pains, and those chest pains and like is there it's accompanied by shortness of breath, and then all of a sudden that. That chest pain, that shortness of breath becomes so scary because it's not anything that they've ever experienced before. And then they end up in the ER thinking that something's really wrong with me. I'm having a heart attack. And medical doctors will run tests and they're able to say to the person, there's nothing medically going on with you. You probably want to see a psychologist. And at that point, you know that's actually really good news because now we've ruled out something very serious medically and we can work with an adult or a kid, teenagers have this experience too, on understanding symptoms of a panic attack. So that's a different kind of anxiety. It's actually a category called panic disorder where it feels like there's some real scary physical symptoms happening. So shortness of breath, tightness in the chest, Maybe the palms get really sweaty. Maybe the walls feel like they're closing in. And I've even heard people say, you know, they feel like they can't breathe. Um, They think they're going to die. And so those moments are very, very terrifying for people. And the worst kind of anxiety is when people become anxious about their anxiety. So wondering when the next panic attack is going to happen and being even worried about that.
0: Yeah, and let's be real also. I mean, we all experience anxiety in different ways, different forms. Um, It's really more of a matter of identifying the anxiety and how do we deal with it um, and whatnot. So it's very, very normal. There's definitely circumstances that can lead to anxiety, Um, you know, with all that's going on with the uncertainty, uh, people losing their jobs, parents struggling in different ways, financial constraints. I mean, there's a lot out there going on. so it's okay to also have anxiety. Is that is that not correct?
1: Yeah. So you're starting to sound more and more like like someone we should hire in the clinic and <laughs> start seeing some clients sometimes. Um, Let's not get too, uh, <laughs> too out there now. But what you just did is you made it normal. And I think that's so important because... It's, e- it's actually easier, I think, to talk about anxiety in this day and age because of the pandemic, because of all the uncertainty. So, so everything you just said actually gives people permission to start talking about their experiences um, more than I think it ever has. So it's easy to kind of use that as the reason why you're feeling that way, because a lot of people have felt anxiety far before the pandemic ever happened and there was just so much of a stigma around even talking about it or wanting, you know, that fear of appearing like weak or or just different. I think because of all those things that you mentioned, more and more people are coming out and talking about it now and and people are kind of like, yeah, we're all going through a situation where none of us know really what to do or what to expect. Sure. Of course, we're feeling like this.
0: Well, that leads me to something else I wanted to bring up as well. And you, you talked about performing and whatnot. So as parents, as adults, we, we have to perform in different ways for our kids, for our families. We have responsibilities. Um, and, and that leads me to like some of the actual anxiety that kids actually experience from their parents for performing to be the best. You have to get the best grades. You have to be the best in soccer or baseball or gymnastics. And all these pressures that kids feel these days from itty-bitty all the way up through high school, college, and whatnot. Um, you know, there's that, that pressure uh, to be the best, the fear of, of not performing, the fear of failing. Um, so that, that makes a huge difference also.
1: Well, so, I mean, that, that's like kind of speaking more to the role that parents can have in helping their children through these times or even somewhat contributing to, to why a child might have anxiety. And so I really do want to talk about that. I want to talk about, you know, like coping skills and ways to help kids overcome some of these feelings. I think before we jump into that, um, there's a few more disorders under that anxiety umbrella that are really important to talk about. So we've talked about generalized anxiety disorder. We've talked about social anxiety disorder and separation anxiety disorder. There's actually a few more that I just want to make sure we touch base on real quick because it's... The way that people experience anxiety is so real for so many different people. I want to make sure we kind of like give fair mention to uh, some more. So the other, you know, the other kind of of anxiety that I'm thinking about is obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD is an anxiety disorder, so it does fall under that umbrella of anxiety disorders. And we started off with me saying, you know, everyone's kind of throwing around the word anxiety. And you kind of made the parallel like, yeah, just like people throw around the word love these days. OCD is one of those, you know, terms that people just throw around um, a lot, right? And don't really know what they're saying when they say, oh, I'm just so OCD or I can't stand my boss. He's so OCD, right? I, think people I can't say stand that my you. husband because he's so <laughs>
0: OCD. Everything has to be so clean.
1: Uh-huh. So... So in, in that regard, you know, people use the word OCD kind of loosely, but when we're talking about true clinically elevated symptoms and how do we make that diagnosis, OCD is actually really different than what people really know about it. It's called obsessive compulsive disorder because those, those terms actually break down the different symptoms that a person experiences. So the obsessions that a person experiences are very intrusive thoughts. Uh, they actually bother the person. They make the person very uncomfortable while they're experiencing them. And those thoughts can come in many different forms. So it could be images that they're having in their mind over and over again. It could be just a thought. You know, it could be any any form of an obsession. But it can be very intrusive and very bothersome. And then the compulsive part of that is the actual behavior that the individual feels extremely compelled, or like it's a compulsion to go through with that behavior. Um, and and they'll risk a lot of things in order to be able to do those behaviors. So you know, my my common question is, would you risk being late to school? Um, if it meant you had to go check the locks, you know, you're in your normal pattern over and over again, um, you know, in order to do so. And if the answer is yes, more often than not it is, and then it's more of a compulsion. Like this is something they really don't have control over. It's more so controlling them. And the belief that goes along with OCD usually is if I don't engage in that behavior, then something bad is going to happen. Okay. So there's this whole like, um, it's it's like a, a mental trap. I mean, there's really no other way to, to say that. It's this trap and it's very bothersome to the person experiencing. So that's true OCD.
0: Is that like, can it can be like, like, you know, like we hear of germ, germ, people who are germ, you know, phobias and, and all that stuff.
1: Uh-huh. So what you just brought up is the next type of anxiety I was going to talk about, which is like a specific phobia. But I can, I can, I think I know what you're getting at. So there's, there's like kind of this understanding in like pop culture that you know, someone's really afraid of germs. So maybe they're obsessed with germs and cleanliness and disease and all of those things are part of the obsessions. And then the compulsions that go with that are washing your hands so much that they start to bleed, right? So that's a real good like pop culture you can't common Can't touch anything, example. can't go anywhere. Yep. And so that's absolutely a thing. I think Howie Mandel actually has that's that, a, right? That was on my, on yeah, my brain. Yeah, and sure. he's open about that publicly. So that's, yeah, that's a real good example of that. Um, now, the other the other thing that you kind of alluded to is like a phobia. There's actually specific phobias also. That's a different type of anxiety. So this is where like a very specific or situational trigger has to occur in order for someone to to be to have that anxiety response. But they're so, so scared of it that they avoid it like the plague. So this could be someone who's, like, really, really, really scared of taking the elevator. And so their whole life, no matter how many flights, they just take the stairs. Um, or they're really, really fearful of snakes or spiders or something or like that. hmm exactly. Now there's another type of anxiety that... Is not necessarily in the diagnostic manual or like an official anxiety type, um, but I see it in kids so often that I really want to talk about it today. So the type of anxiety I want to talk about today is called boredom. What do you think I mean by boredom?
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, we have kids and they get so bored sometimes there's nothing to do and they're going crazy and... They don't want to do anything, but yet they're so bored.
1: Yeah, and I think that experience is so real in all of our houses, right? If you have kids, you've heard them say, I'm bored, I'm I'm so bored, or I have nothing to do, or I need this right now because I feel so bored. You know and it makes
0: me think of? It makes me think of, I'm so hungry and there's nothing to eat in this house, and there's a whole full pantry of food and fridge and everything else, but yet we just can't wrap our mind around what's in front of us.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a good, I mean, it's, it's, it's similar. <laughs> I have another podcast that I could talk all day on that topic, but, um, but boredom. So when I, when I talk to clients or parents and, and they bring up boredom or um, kids will bring it up a lot. So a lot of times kids will say, even during this pandemic, when I'm doing like telehealth sessions with them I'll say, you know, how are you today? How's the week been? Like, what do we need to work on? And a lot of times they will say, "Nothing has changed. I'm bored. Like I, I want to see my friends, and I just, you know, nothing is good. I'm just so bored." And so, the reason I bring it up is because I really have found, over years and years of experience and just working with kids of all ages, that boredom has really, has really, what I have seen, boredom. It, it's really a symptom of anxiety. It's really another way of saying I'm anxious. So when kids say I'm bored, it's another way of saying I don't know what to do with myself when I don't constantly have something stimulating me. Okay, so if they're not constantly in front of a screen, if they're not you know on their video game or on social media or on their cell phone, um, they tend to kind of look up, and all of a sudden there's nothing distracting them. They're sitting with themselves for the first time in, in peace and quiet, you know, all day, and they can't stand it. And so it's really this feel of, feeling of angst um, that's foreign to them, and, and but it's also so uncomfortable to them. And the first thing they go to is, I'm bored. I'm bored. There's nothing to do like help, okay? But we know there's tons of things to do. Usually there's a lot to do. There's maybe some crafts or some time you can go spend outside. There's a walk to go on or maybe a swim or Or 15
0: books to read.
1: There's books to read, right? There's puzzles to do. Um, We can sit there all day long and say, why don't you go volunteer or why, you know, why don't you do this? And we have all these ideas and nothing sounds good to our child.
0: Well, and, and what I think of whenever you speak about this, um, it kind of leads into something else I wanted to, to bring to your attention for you to speak on as well, but it kind of comes along with we actually um, model for our kids' anxiety in a lot of different ways, and they see our anxiety, they feel our anxiety, and they also um, portray that same anxiety in different ways, too, and... I know as a kid growing up, I didn't really have a lot of quiet time that I was provided or you know mandated to have. I mean, I was always outside running around like a crazy kid, which is awesome. Um, kids don't do that as much as we did back then these days either, which is very, very important. But having quiet time, understanding what to do with that quiet time, modeling that for kids as well is very, very important. Because if we didn't have it, I mean, it's hard for me even at times to – to sit quietly, read a book, and, and not have something stimulating me. I mean, I have a hard time with that based on how I was raised as a kid. And so I can see where kids can also have that same issue from what we've modeled to them down the line.
1: I mean, that's a great point, and absolutely we need to touch on that. So um, let me just finish what I was going to say about boredom and angst and, and being so uncomfortable in your own angst that that kids really don't know what to do with that. Um, And so that's the point, really, I guess that's like perfect segue. Um, That's the point then where I will work with kids and parents on helping kids learn coping skills. And then really understanding what does that even mean to use a coping skill? Because a lot of times, like for example, with OCD, it is a coping skill to go and engage in the compulsion. That's the way you make that obsessive thought go away. Or with generalized anxiety, it is a coping skill to to repeat myself over and over again until my mom or dad reassures me because that's what I need in that moment or that's what I think I need. But those, what we know, aren't helpful coping skills. And so learning how to be still, learning how to slow down, learning how to move through the angst and actually get to the other side of it is is true self-soothing, it's true coping skills. Because a lot of times what people do with anxiety, very naturally, is they avoid it or avoid the thing that makes them feel anxious. So, And that's so normal. That's so survival-based. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that approach until it becomes unhelpful. And so you can't blame someone to not want to go towards the thing that scares them or to not want to sit in the discomfort, right? Like it's normal to back away from absolutely. it, go do something else. So when someone's feeling that angst and they say, I'm bored, and then they find another device to jump on, and all of a sudden their problems are solved, it's really an avoidance of having to learn how to go through that feeling and come out on the other side of it. And it's
0: always very short-term as right.
1: well. It's a Band-Aid, right? So it's not a long-term solution. Well, when adults kind of find themselves jumping from you know, their, their list of things to do, and they're moving constantly, and they're not able to slow down. It's it can be avoidance, you know, for a lot of adults that I work with, it's maybe like a fear of dying, you know, and they're just trying not to deal with it. And they know when I when they sit, I hear it a lot. When I sit too long, you know, it's kind of the devil's playground. That's when I start thinking about all the things that I don't really want to think about. Um, so coming to terms with, you know, who are you in this world, and and how are you, how do you just be okay with who you are. Um, and learning to be still, it's a huge skill. It's something that doesn't come naturally.
0: Well, and one thing also that I want to point out for parents especially, because we have to learn how to also manage our anxiety in different ways, is we get very anxious because of all the things that we have to do. And sometimes with kids at home more now, and spouse at home, and we're pulled here and pulled there, and we don't have all the time to dedicate towards our job, or responsibilities. We get very anxious about, all this over our heads that we can't get done. Um, And and so with that quiet time, learning how to deal with all that, it's really important to know um, that there's always going to be more to do and you can't do it all. There's always going to be more to do. Um, And finding things that we really love and enjoy in those quiet times is very, very, very crucial. Mm
1: -hmm. And so that's part of self-care. Coping skills is also learning how to self-soothe. And so, you know, one of the things that I see a lot right now, and I think all of us see it, I'm not going to say anything that's going to surprise anybody, um, is, is the way parents are handing devices to their children. So even if you go to a restaurant, well, back when we could go to restaurants, right, or were going to restaurants, you might look around and see children with like an iPad the parents are sitting at the table, they're having conversation, but all the kids have their own headphones on and an iPad. And if you take that away from them, that child's going to have a tantrum.
0: It's the only way to have a peaceful dinner. Come right? On it's the
1: only way to have a peaceful dinner. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way to go out anymore. <laughs> I think that that's just an example of, of like, the larger issue at
0: hand. We give so, the kids a lollipop, you know. talk right. the pediatrician, right? I mean... Give the kid a lollipop. He's going to be okay, no matter what. Okay, he's going to cry. Give him a lollipop.
1: Yeah, exactly. So the the larger issue at hand is it's very distressful for a mom or a dad to watch their kid in pain or to be uncomfortable. Or sometimes it's just annoying to hear your child cry or complain. And so it's much easier in the moment to just – Give them the phone or give them the tablet or say, here, have a lollipop, right? <laughs> um, and all we're doing in those moments without meaning to, because I don't think anyone actually has these intentions, but what we're doing in those moments is we're teaching our kids that the way for you to feel
0: better is
1: through this external thing. So the lollipop, the cookie, the, the distraction,
0: tablet whatever
1: right what we're missing is the fact that every kid and every every adult too i mean all of us are born with exactly what we need right there inside of us to help us self-soothe and so kids can very much learn how to tap in to their ability to self-soothe so what that means is we don't really need anything to learn how to calm down. We don't need a phone or a cookie or a stress ball or, you know, anything. We could literally just sit here and make an impact on ourselves physiologically.
0: That's how a light bulb go off.
1: Tell me, what is it?
0: When I was growing up, my mom and dad, especially my mom, because my dad was usually working, and my mom would say, go out and play and don't come back until the light, until the street lights come on. It's because she wanted to make sure that I'm out of the house, so she had her an easier (laughs) job. So her job was easy if I was outside. Now it's not outside because we don't send our kids outside anymore. It's here's a tablet. So it was never for me. It was for her. (laughs) How dare her?
1: I think you're going to have to go home and have a conversation with her tonight.
0: (laughs) But at least it was a lot healthier than devices. Let's just be honest there.
1: Well, and playing outside actually puts you in a situation where – You could explore. You could uh, find out what it was like to be on your own. You had to survive a little bit. Um, Find a water
0: hose. Right, so
1: you were actually developing your ability to self-soothe by being outside and interacting with nature and kind of being more hands-on, rather than finding a way to escape the current stress of the moment. Maybe your mom was escaping the current stress of the moment, um, and so I, I, might, I might have to send you <laughs> outside sometimes if that's an effective strategy. Um, but anyways, the point is, kids can learn how to self-soothe, and they can learn how to self-soothe without the use of any type of external tool or device. So that's the cool thing about you know working with kids in my clinic is that we get to sit there and teach them these skills of like how to tap in first to understand what does angst feel like, to identify it, to realize that what they are doing currently is just a way to run away and avoid it at any cost. And when they feel it even just for a moment, it's, it's so uncomfortable that they have to, they have to get away from it as fast as they can. And they tend to call that boredom. Um and and then what to do about it. So there's really cool skills that we get to teach the kids in my clinic and it's really fun. But uh, for parents right now who are listening, you know, like you said, modeling some of that slowing down is so, so important. So having like the culture at home, be okay with like, I feel kind of stressed right now and I'm gonna stop and take some deep breaths or, I'm gonna use some grounding skills. Like these are all like mindfulness-based relaxation strategies that we teach in the clinic. Um, I'm going to just sit back and, and take a breather. I know a lot of parents who'll just like stop and go lay down, just laying down for 15 minutes. It's just such a, it just makes such a big difference in the course of a day. Um, and if you're doing that, then your kids are more likely to, to do it also. It also helps them be more confident, knowing that their parents can take care of themselves. It's not their responsibility to take care of their parents.
0: Makes perfect sense. One thing that some things that we actually like to do at home, uh, especially myself, um, it's, it's really spending time with the kids too. like taking 10, 15 minutes a day at certain times throughout the day really helps with their anxiety as well. Um, that boredom you're talking about, um, our kids get bored too. I mean, they're not perfect, even though uh, they have a great mom and and whatnot. But you know, we have tickle time on the couch, and it's full on tickle time. It's I mean, it's 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 WWE wrestling. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, the, the the our boys and girls get involved in it. Our little one year old gets involved in it. She can't stand not to be a part of it. Um, doing those types of things and another thing that I think also helps with. Um, kind of just uh encouraging um alone time and, and being in your own thought and whatnot is imagination and that can also start with just little simple games like we play at the dinner table with uh interview getting kids to start thinking outside the box and start really just being more imaginative because i think we're losing that a lot in in kids today is the imagination
1: so one thing that you said so i want to do two things now um when you said like You know, being okay with sitting alone and being in your thoughts. I'm really glad you said that because that's not what I'm saying at all. And so I think a lot of people go there with that. You know, let me just learn how to sit and be alone with my thoughts. Being alone with our thoughts is actually (laughs) that devil's playground. So the more alone time people have with their thoughts, they tend to start to realize that's when their anxiety levels go up. That's when their negative thinking gets worse. That's maybe sometimes even when depression kinda can take more root. So we wanna be careful there because isolation and withdrawing and being alone with thoughts, you know, can result in some of those things I just mentioned. When I say learning how to sit and be, be still and be alone and, and kinda just work through the angst, I'm not necessarily saying Listen to all... Okay, so here's the example I like to use. My clients, I call it monkey mind, okay? So this is actually something I learned a long time ago when I was studying under a Buddhist monk, and I learned how to meditate uh, in the Zen Buddhist way. So I did this for like three years of my life. And one of the things they teach is this monkey mind meditation. So if you think about your mind, and it has a lot of little monkeys jumping around in it, a lot of people can really resonate with, well, my anxiety you know, is different, or, or my anxiety takes on this form. So if you think about it, either your monkeys are jumping from branch to branch to branch, so that's like one thought after the other after the other, that's racing thoughts, or your monkey's getting stuck on one branch and he's just kind of there all day hanging out, so he's just dwelling on something and totally worried about something. Um, but the, But the ultimate issue is that those monkeys do whatever it takes to stay busy. They want to stay busy, and they will keep themselves busy if you don't give them something to do. And so when people have a lot of anxiety, it's because their monkeys are out of control. And so learning to sit and be with your thoughts is more learning how to sit and think about your thoughts. And then once you understand what's happening up there, right, (laughs) you start to learn how to have a little bit more control. So there are meditation techniques that you can learn to like really get those monkeys to settle down. And one of my most favorite examples of this was when I was working on teaching monkey mind meditation to a client. And her visual, it's just stood out to me for, forever now since she said it, was that she, she believed that by the time she had gotten her monkeys under control, It's not that there wouldn't be monkeys anymore because that's kind of what happened to me. Like I don't, I feel like sometimes I have a bunch of empty space up there (laughs) Um, because there are days where like, I just don't have a lot of thoughts and it's really nice and it's peaceful. Um,
0: Then you have those monkeys jumping on the bed nonstop. Yeah, there you go. Yeah.
1: Uh, But this visual that this client gave me was, well, at the end of all this, when I'm finally in control, It's actually not a lot of monkeys. It's just one big monkey and he will be sitting down in front of me. You know? So that was like her visual. So everybody experiences this differently. But it's a real cool thing to think about. we're We're not learning how to sit alone with our thoughts. We're actually learning how to sit through that angst and become more in control of it.
0: Makes perfect sense. All right. So... We are probably about out of time for this uh, episode with anxiety. We could go on and on, I'm sure. Could. Um, so we want to go ahead and close. So do you have any additional tips as far as uh, things you want to leave parents for themselves and for their kids or just for themselves to help model with their kids?
1: I, I, I think the, the takeaway, like the biggest takeaway from today is, is that it's okay to be anxious. I mean, anxiety is so normal. And you actually brought that up, and I'm really glad you did because I think the more normal we make it, the easier it's going to be for everybody to start talking about it. The more we're able to talk about it, the more we can really help each other and help our kids.
0: I totally agree. Uh, No matter how old you are, we all have different things to be anxious about. Kids have their own things in their own little world that sometimes we don't actually think about. As we get older as adults, we have responsibilities. we got the election going on right now. You've got social injustice and and riots going on across the country, actually across the world. Um, So there's always going to be something out there, so very normal. Um, So definitely take some of these tips uh, that Dr. Swin has shared with you today. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Parent Survival Kit from Surviving to Thriving in Your Household. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon.